before he created stuff. Because God doesn't exist in time. You know, he's always been around. We exist in time, so it's hard for us to fathom what it's like not to, but the reality is time itself is a created thing. So what was God up to before he had us people to look at and, and uh, you know, strive with it and listen to our prayer requests? And the answer to that question is, he was still loving. We have a Trinitarian God, which is a time that's going for 2,000 years, and we can't quite do it. All we know is that the Bible teaches it. And God the Father has always been loving the Son. Jesus says that in the book of John, before the foundation of the world, you loved me. Think about that. God has always been love. The Father has always been the Father. The Son has always been the Son. And even before we were around, believe it or not, God was happy because he was still giving out love. Self-giving love is the nature of God. Mind people blown. I get to read really cool stuff for school, you know. And when I came across that, I had to close the book and put it down. And just said, wow, why have I never realized that before? It's pretty darn cool. It's a wonderful gift we humans get. And let's not forget that the very core of his nature is self-giving love. Because today, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> today, I know, it's a bummer. I think I'm going to do that last. Spoiler alert. Yeah, next week, we're going to talk about anger, the anger of God, which actually will be quite encouraging, I think, once we look at that. And then I'm going to do love next. But today is jealousy. The jealousy of God. God's got emotions. This is one of them. And uh, before I get started, we're going to go through Exodus 20, 1 through 7. If you're curious about what our key verses are going to be, that's the Ten Commandments. We're going to go through the first three. But before that, I'm going to sing, not sing, I will recite, that's better, I'll recite one of the great hymns of my people. I have adjusted this for readability and also for our church context. But here we go. This is very important. Go on this lyrical journey with me. Well, the south side of Chicago <laughs> is the baddest part of town. And if you go down there, you had better beware of a man named Leroy Brown. Leroy Brown. Now, Leroy's more than trouble. He stands about six foot four. And all the downtown ladies call him treetop lover. But the men just call him Sir. And it's bad. He is bad, Leroy Brown. He's the baddest man in the whole dang town, church context, remember? <laughs> He's badder than old King Kong. He is meaner than a junkyard dog. And now Leroy, he's a gambler. He likes his fancy clothes. And he likes to wave his diamond rings under everybody's nose. He's got a custom continental and an Eldorado, too. He's got a 32 gun in his pocket just for fun and a razor in his shoe. He is a bad dude, Leroy Brown. The baddest man in the whole dang town. He's badder than old King Kong and he's meaner than a junkyard dog. Well, Friday, about a week ago, Leroy was shooting dice. And at the edge of the bar sat a girl named Doris and she was looking nice. Well, he cast his eyes upon her, and the trouble soon began, because Leroy Brown was about to learn a lesson about messing with the wife of a jealous 
sinful influence is going to be brought to bear on those children to the third or fourth generations. And we see this, right? Can you imagine if your great-grandfather was a terrible, abusive drug addict and you had to live in his house? Would you be suffering for his sin in the third generation? You would. And that's probably what God has in mind here. But note the caveat to those who hate him. There's always hope for those who turn to the Lord. He will break this. This is not a death sentence. Like, sorry, tough. You're only a generation two. We can't get along. Don't hear that, okay? There's always hope for people to turn to the Lord. But going back to what makes him jealous, that was, that was a little sidetrack. Is that okay? We're back now. We're on the main road. God has a real problem with this idol thing. Now, we're talking about an ancient time period where they really would go find a sweet piece of rock or marble or wood and they'd carve it up and that would be their god. That would be their idol. You know? And they would have household idols. They would go to temples where they had really elaborate idols. And they did things with these idols that represented their gods. They would dress them up. In fact, in Japan, we still saw this. There would be little idols and you'd put clothes on them and you'd make hats for them. You'd eat food for them. And they treated it like it was the actual God. Partly to give reverence, but also partly because it felt like they could manipulate the deity this way. Seriously. They thought how they treated this idol would influence what the God did. So it is highly likely this is the first thing God doesn't like about this system. He's like, don't make any images of me. Don't think you can manipulate me. Stop Alright? I'm the Lord that brought you out of Egypt. You can't twist my arm behind my back by carving something. So just don't even try. Okay? And the second thing is, God wants to be thought of correctly. Now this didn't immediately follow for me. It had to be unpacked a little bit. But once I got it, I was like, oh man, that is hard hitting like right now in 2016. Do you guys remember the story of the golden calf? So check it out. Right now, Moses is on the mountain, big scary mountain, right? And he's going to be up there for like 40 days listening to God. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, the Israelites go to the high priest, the guy in charge. You know, Moses is gone. And they say, hey, we don't know where this Moses guy went. Why don't you make some gods for us? The same thing that Galilee is talking about right here. And so Aaron says, okay, let's make, let's make an idol. Sounds good. So they gather together a bunch of gold, they melt it down, they form a calf, and they worship it. And Aaron tells the people, here, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. And tomorrow we'll get together and we'll have a feast to Yahweh. So it's interesting what he's done here. He's like, these people need something to hold them together, right? These people need some hope here. Let's just do what everybody else does. Let's make a statue. We can, we can do this in honor of Yahweh. We'll give Yahweh the credit still. But we'll just say that this, this bull or this calf represents it. I mean, it's fine, right? We're still giving credit where credit is due. We're still having a feast to Yahweh. We're just going to worship this thing, and that represents him. No worries. God is furious. In fact, once they do it, gets the call from his angels on the cell phone and he's like, Moses, we gotta break this up. You would not believe what those people are doing down there. 
God says, you're right. You better go down there and clear this up. And it is not a pretty scene. Moses going down, clearing house, grinds up the idol, makes them drink it. I mean, it is a fiasco. Yeah, he grinds it up and puts it in the water. Yep, sure enough. God is mad because he's not a cow. God is mad because the pagan people in that country worship Baal and Hell as cows. They were their spirit animals. So Aaron thought, I'll do God a favor and I'll make him the same spirit animals like the big deity in this region. That'll make him happy. No, because God is not the same. He is distinct. He is different. He's not even remotely like these fake gods that they're worshiping. He wants to be thought of correctly. And just giving him credit, just knowing his name and calling him Yahweh, doesn't count. That hits me hard. Because here's the extension that I brought to today. I am not making a golden calf and calling him Yahweh. But if I only read the same six chapters of this book, and I narrow down the character of God to one or two attributes, and that's all I think about, preach on, or believe, I am contorting the image of the real God because I don't want to know him as he says he is. The people on the side of the street that are all anger and bitterness and judgment and no love might as well be worshiping a golden calf because that does not accurately represent Yahweh, even if they say that they're giving his name. Aaron was going to have a feast to Yahweh and worship an idol. doesn't matter. But on the same side of the coin, different side of the same coin, excuse me, if all we talk about is love and grace and forgiveness so much that we forget any type of justice or moral standard, then we've done the same thing in the opposite direction. We are responsible. We have this revelation of who God is. He's gone through a lot of trouble for us to know that guy. We need to have a well-rounded, as accurate as we can get, view of who God actually is. He is jealous of his image. He wants to be thought of correctly.
God says, I am coming back like a husband to meet his bride. And the bride is getting prepared. And all the church is figuratively represented by a bride. And God is a conquering hero that's coming to sweep his bride off his feet. Off her feet. Right? That's awesome. So, it is encouraging. It's encouraging that he wrote ground. Was six foot four. team up front. Feel free to come up if you want prayer for anything. Anything at all. It doesn't have to be to, to be saved or anything like that. It could be
aches, pain, sickness, if you need encouragement, anything at all, come on up. And if not, hang out, drink some coffee, eat more food. You're dismissed. Yeah.